Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to be energized and have some serious fun. This is the Energetic Education Podcast. Introducing your host, Dale Sidebottom. Welcome to episode number 42 of the podcast and today's episode is an absolute ripper. I've been waiting a couple of months to uh, catch up with you. Now, Hugh uh, Van Gladenberg is an absolute superstar. He started the Resilience Project nearly six years ago now and from that, it has just gone from strength to strength and Hugh's big message is that uh, students, adults, teachers, everybody really need to focus on three things in life, and that's empathy, gratitude, and mindfulness. And today's episode, he's going to talk about his journey, how he discovered this from traveling and teaching through India, then doing his master's, and now Hugh travels all over Australia presenting these amazing messages to schools and teachers. So he's going to give some ideas and tips of ways that you can you know, start small and start spreading that gratitude with your students as well as talking about this amazing new app that the Resilience Project has just brought out. And I personally have been using this for the last 20 days straight, and it is single-handedly making me a happier person. So um, all that being said, in the show notes, you'll see um, a clip of Hugh in action, which is pretty impressive. He's an amazing storyteller and teaches. You'll be able to learn a lot from today's episode. There's also ways that you can find out about the Resilience Project and what they're doing. Um, And also, there's a link to go and download the app which is free so all that being said guys check out this is going to be amazing talking to Hugh episode number 42 thank you very much Hugh thanks for joining me how are you buddy good Dale how are you mate yeah going really well mate now uh, for listeners out there so I've got a lot of listeners and teachers around the world so obviously in Australia mate you are a household name you are the god everyone goes to you for people... <laughs> I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> for people around the world though buddy uh, do you want to just give a little bit of a background and maybe your teaching experiences and so forth um, so for people around the world um, uh, Dale's just got very excited in his introduction. I wouldn't say I'm a household name. That's very kind. It's very, very <laughs> kind. But um, So I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm a primary school teacher. Um, I um, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. I, my my little sister, Georgia, when she was uh, 14 years old, um, was diagnosed with uh, with a mental illness. She was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. And, um, and I, I always just found it... Um, a very confronting, well, confronting for the obvious reason, but also confusing that um, when I sort of looked around, I realised that there was a lot of people experiencing mental illness. And I didn't quite get it because I thought, gosh, we've got so, like, I don't know, life's so good here. And, and um, so I always found that a bit confusing. But that's kind of when I thought I wanted to be a teacher when I was about, I was about year 11. I thought, oh, I'd love to teach because in a very naive and very ambitious way, I thought, oh, if, if I teach kids, they won't get, they won't get a mental illness. So okay, yeah, that yeah. was my, which is a ridiculous thought considering, um, <laughs> I don't know how I thought that was going to work. But anyway, that, that's what made me want to be a teacher because I just thought, gosh, you know, seeing what my family went through with my sister's mental illness, I kind of thought, oh, I want to work in education and make sure families don't go through what we went through. Um, so went into teaching and, and primary was my, um, um, yeah, decided to go for primary, I think. Um, I've always loved working with young kids and um, and taught for um, – did my degree at Deakin University, taught for three years before I uh, moved over to India and taught for a year in India. Um, well, I didn't teach the whole year. I was travelling for a lot of it but had a couple of stints teaching and came back to uh, Melbourne and taught in a um, 
a, a program which you will know very well, Dale, Sports Education Development Australia, um, where um, where I worked with um, adolescents aged um, 16, 17 and 18 for, for a couple of years. So all up, um, I was teaching in, tr- in a traditional setting for about, um, what was it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years total. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Yeah, and then, then went back to uni and did my post-grad studies in um, – um, well, I was a Master's of Education, but I was looking specifically at um, wellbeing and mental health for young and, people. And now that decision to go back and do your study, did that have something to do with your travelling and obviously teaching in India? Did that resonate with you or think, make you come back and go, geez, there's an issue here or I want to change something? Yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what happened. I, um, I, 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 was, um, you know, I was living up in a... Um, community up in up in the far north of India, close to the border of Pakistan, it was a desert community called um, the the village was called Tiksay, and it's in the state of Ladakh, so very very close to the border of China, uh, China and Pakistan. But I was um, it was a, it was an underprivileged community, um, no running water, no electricity, no beds, everyone sleeps on the dirt floor, all that kind of stuff, and and I was just blown away um, by how happy how happy everyone was, and particular one child that I became um, pretty close with, just he was just a beauty, he. Um, uh, he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. He had a pair of shoes where his toes were hanging out the end a couple of inches because he'd cut the end off. He couldn't afford new shoes, all that kind of stuff, um, but just the happiest kid I've ever met. And um, and I couldn't stop thinking about my sister the whole time I was there because, to, to be honest, I was just thinking, I don't, I don't understand this. We grew up in a, in a nice um, house with a loving family in Melbourne um, and my sister un- uh, is so unhappy with herself. She's developed a mental illness yet. This kid uh, who lives in the desert and hasn't got has only got one pair of shoes that don't fit him um, is just the happiest kid I've ever come across. So I became very interested in in that, and and I actually I stayed in this community for about four months, and and um, and I decided to try and observe, or not just observe, but participate in what those people do every day, um, because I just wanted to work out, you know, there's a long shot, but is there something I can learn off this kid or these people I can talk to my sister about and. And um, and I, I was very excited to discover there was a few things that those people did every day and got back to Melbourne and I was very keen to start talking about this stuff. But um, first of all, I didn't have an audience. But second of all, um, if, if, if I did, I wasn't comfortable getting up and saying, hey, guys, this kid in India did it, so let's all start doing it. So um, I went back to uni to my post-grad studies. It was about a five and a half years um, and I was looking at the at the three things that I've observed, which we'll talk about later on the podcast, but there were, there were three things I observed in these people that they did every day. And I actually wanted to see if there's any research behind them. Turns out there's 30 years of research screaming at us. We've got to practice this stuff if we want to experience better mental health and better wellbeing. And at that point I thought, well, I might, um, I might take the plunge here and see if I can set up a program um, which teaches these three things in schools because, um, as you all know, and as lots of people in education will know, uh, we don't really traditionally set aside time in the curriculum to actually work on well-being and happiness. Yet, if you ask any parent what they want for their child, the answer is to be happy. Yeah. The answer is not. The answer is not. I want them to be good at literacy and university. Yeah. Um, yet, that's what we. And I'm not saying we don't spend time on those things. They're, they're they're important. That's what you know. That's a huge part of school. But we should be setting a time aside time to teach well-being and happiness. And so, I put together a program about five, nearly six years ago now on on. Um, on these three simple things that we can teach and um, the ways that – so the program basically now is we teach teachers, then we teach the students, and then we um, have the parents come in because parents are half the battle when we're trying to teach. And I say that in a loving way. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're half the battle when it, when it, um, when it comes to, to teaching kids to be more resilient and happier. 
Yeah, and mate, that's spot on. And for listeners out there that haven't experienced you or the program he's running, the Resilience Project, in the show notes, I will uh, put a YouTube clip that's uh, Hugh speaking for about 20 minutes on gratitude. And he goes through that story about the kids um, up in the desert near Pakistan in India and basically goes through everything that he's talking about there. And you can actually see it. And once you watch that, you'll get a really good idea about this message they're going with. And I suppose from there, mate, the Resilience Project, it's been going now for... You say four or five years? Yeah, five years. It's fifth year. We're coming up on six years now. So, um, yeah, yeah, six years. Nice, mate. Nice. And um, things are things are going along really well. well yeah, that they are. I, I think one of the reasons we've been um, it's been a we've we've sort of um, we're adding we've we now added curriculum to our program so that um, it's not just going in and doing sort of uh, yeah we've had great results from going and doing presentations. We had a lot of people like some curriculum so we can. So we can uh, we can support the stuff you're doing after you left. So developed comprehensive curriculum that, that, that links to all the uh, learning outcomes in the in the national curriculum, all those kind of things. Uh, but I, I think one of the reasons it's really important is is um, or one of the reasons it's been very popular across across Australia is um, the world the World Health Organization. And I, and I know I'm I know I'm speaking to a lot of teachers here, so but I'm, this is not why I'm saying it. I, I strongly believe that, um, and I've said this to many groups before, but I strongly believe that teachers have the most important job in the world. Um, and the reason I say that is that the World Health Organization, um, in their predictions for the year 2030, um, number one, they believe the most common illness in the world, uh, not mental illness, the most common illness in the world will be depression. And they believe the most likely cause of death by the year 2030 will be suicide. Um, and so when you look at that, um, that's when I think you, you just kind of, you know, teachers have the most important job in the world because teachers are the ones who have the ability to teach kids to be resilient. And I, I'm not saying because they're with them from 9 till 3.30 every single day. It's because they actually have the ability and the skills and the um, uh, to, to motivate, engage, inspire and to move. And um, when you look at those predictions in the World Health Organisation, resilience becomes an unbelievably important um, attribute and teachers are the ones who are, who are going to be able to teach this to kids. So... Um, um, I, I, and, I, and I, again, I'm biased because I'm a teacher myself, but I do think teachers have the most important job in the world. Um, and what an unbelievable privilege it is to, to, to be in a position to influence um, such a um, such a really scary prediction. Yeah, it is, but it's also a very exciting one. Like I agree, mate. Now, yep. those those figures you just mentioned are outrageous. Like that is so alarming. Do you think yeah. uh, with technology and everything as it is at the moment, social media is playing a massive role in that? Oh, I think I think it's a huge uh, it's a huge part, and, and it's funny you say that. We're actually um, this Sunday, the tenth of December, we're having a day. The Resilience Project is is um, we're encouraging people around the country. We're calling it Disconnect Day, um, and we're asking people to challenge themselves to either as soon as they wake up first thing in the morning to remove all the social media apps for their phone, or if they want to be hardcore turn their phone off as soon as they wake up and don't turn it on again until you go to sleep that night. Wow. Um, and then, But then as a reflection, before you go to bed that night, just see how you feel. Because I, I strongly believe that this um, – I think there are so many levels, there's so many issues with social media, but um, I, I strongly believe that these are influencing levels of anxiety for so many reasons. Um, but, I mean, one of the big issues is, is addiction to our devices right now. They believe four out of five – um, adolescents are in this country now addicted to their to their phone. Um, I haven't seen the person who's not to be. I haven't seen the one in yeah. five who's not. I, I see they're all walking around on their phones, and we are as well as adults. I'm not saying it's Correct. just adolescents, but um, it's really. I mean, the things that they're now doing 
um, the apps that sit on our phones to make us addicted, they're really frightening and they're unethical. The, the um, Facebook have got a um, uh, have got a feature when you get into your phone, first thing, what you do is, and people may not know they're doing it. I didn't know until I actually checked, but when you first get into Facebook with your thumb, you just kind of swipe the screen down just to load the notifications. Yeah. And when you do that, you'll notice a little circle spins around at the top yep. and then there's a pause and then a number comes up to team, tell you the amount of no- notifications you've got. That, that whole process is deliberately built into Facebook. If they wanted to, they could tell you how many notifications you had uh, straight away, but they've decided to base their program on the pokies. Yep. Which, is where you, which is where you pull a lever down, there's a delay, and then your reward comes up. It's called delayed scheduled reward, and it's psychologically addictive, um, and it's illegal for kids to be using the pokies because we know they'll get addicted to it. But Facebook have somehow managed to build this into their program, and it's getting people addicted um, every single day. They're now sending notifications before you wake up in the morning because they've worked out that if you're lying down, you're less likely to exit the app. So they're trying to get you before you get out of bed um, with notifications, which have been deliberately sent to you before your average wake-up time. So they've calculated your wake-up time, then they're sending you. So, I mean, the point of all this is that they were kind of trapped and we say to people, get off your phone. It's not as easy as that because we are clinically addicted to our phones. Um, and so we're just trying to encourage people to just – mate, this is a very long answer to your question <laughs> about I'm, social I'm media. I'm loving it though, mate. Like I, I've never heard that. I know I know that they use like the gamification model and they suck people in by getting likes and, you know, they want people to be on there. I had no idea that that loading phase, though, what it was based on. Like that is insane. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's disgusting and I cannot believe they've been allowed to do it. I mean, we I know a lot about this stuff for a couple of reasons. One is very simply I listen to a podcast – by um, a guy a lot of people might know him, Dr. Sam Harris, a neuroscientist, episode 71, okay. his podcast. After you've listened to this podcast, then you can go and listen to um, – uh, <laughs> don't switch off now. Uh, episode episode 71, Waking Up With Sam. It's um, all about what te- technology is doing to our brain. I could try and answer it, your question, uh, but I hear this man's a lot more articulate, a lot smarter than I am. He'll do it much better. So listen to him. It goes for an hour and 48 minutes and you won't even realise that the time will fly. It's an unbelievable and very scary podcast on on, on the influence of our devices on our brains. But um, there's a, some nice advice in there. And I know the other reason I know about this stuff is because, and I get the irony here, but we've just finished building our first app. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to um, talk about next. Yeah, so, so, so um, I've had people asking for years to build an app and I've, I kind of said no, but I, I think one of the issues is, the amount of times we, we the amount of time we spend on our phone, and, and Dale, you're someone who's built it up, so you you, you get to spend anyone. But um, we, um, I thought, no, we can do it. But we can do it in a way where we're not trying to trap people in the in the in the app. So mm-hmm. the I remember the app developer said to me, oh, and there's a function where if they haven't been in for a few days, we send them a notification. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 no notifications. And he said, no, that's how you get them back into the app. And I said, well, mate, that's the, that's why I don't want them there because I want people to choose on their own. Um, time they're going to use this app and then we actually, we actually don't like once they've used it we don't let them back in for another 12 hours so um, because we don't want people stuck you know on there I mean there are apps out there that are good for you um, there's plenty of apps that are good for you but there's also apps that make you feel well social media the, the, here's, here's the answer to your question it's taken 10 minutes to get there but <laughs> the most the most common emotion someone feels after they've spent 10 minutes or more on social media is regret um, and that's a lot of regret going around because a lot of people are spending more than 10 minutes there. So um, uh, so the, the advice I would give to people is turn the notifications off on all your apps. You don't need notifications. They are there as an excuse to suck you back into your phone. Mm. Um, uh, and, and, and so right now, Facebook and Instagram and whatever the apps are, they choose, they are deciding when you check your phone, and it needs to be the other way around. We should be deciding when we check our phone. 
but they're sending us notification. We jump in and have a look. We just react straight away. And the second one is rearrange your home screen. This is a beauty. Get rid of all the apps that don't make you feel good. So I'm not saying delete them. Yeah, just yeah. move them five screens across. Swipe so you can swipe five screens across okay. to, to, to actually get to them. And you can you can make your own folder. I've got a folder. It's five screens across and it's called regret. Um, <laughs> and, that's where I put, and that's where I put Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube's in there because YouTube's a shocker. They use autoplay. My and they're actually smart. Yep, my, my cricket. My, I'll be honest with you, my cricket sits on my home screen. So. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I, know, I do know what you mean. That's a, that's a really good point. And I suppose yeah. the reason I bring that up is we, we're both taught in the same program. And what I found is that students would walk into the room in the morning and they wouldn't even say hello. They were on their phone. And I'd say, yeah. you need to go outside. You need to walk in and greet me. You know, you can't – that's not a way to walk into the room. That's not a way to start the day. But I, it's not only those students but everybody you see now, every kid – walking along they'll be on a train there'll be four of them they'll be talking to each other through messages instead of interacting yeah. with each other it's it's frightening isn't it because we um i mean i, I don't know um about you but I, I i reckon growing up as a kid i reckon i learned so much when i was bored so when i was sitting around the dinner table and i was sort of running out of stuff to say and i was bored and well, that's just bad luck. I had to make my own fun. And so you learn to be creative through that with your siblings or whatever it is. But I, I don't see that anymore. I don't see creativity coming out of boredom because we're never bored anymore because no. the second we feel bored, we pull our phone out. And so where's this? Where's the creativity going to come from? And for us as adults, yeah, it's a, it's it's not ideal when, you know, you'll, you might not have a feeling, but I, I certainly do. And I'm sitting at the pub having a beer with a mate and he goes to the bathroom or whatever. I grab my phone straight yeah, away rather than just sitting there and just actually being there and looking around and maybe interacting with the barman or whatever it is. You just – you don't want to be by – we don't want to be by ourselves anymore. And I, and it's adults, but I'm really concerned about kids who are growing up where the very second they're bored, phone comes out, boredom's gone. It's not replacing it with anything wholesome. They're not learning anything meaningful there. Um, whereas you and I, when we were bored and I know with your, your brothers, if you got bored around the dinner table well, – just, you, you make your own fun and it's good for us. We learn empathy, we learn social skills, we learn conversation skills, but I, I worry about the next generation. And it's not their fault. I don't blame them. It's it's this – so, I, I am so glad that I'm not growing up in this time where phones are just – you know, I, I, your, your example's perfect. Um, people walking – kids walking into a classroom not greeting other students or teachers because yeah. they're on their phone, that is the most um, – that you couldn't get a better example of that. It is so – so if you walked into your classroom 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and didn't, you just had your head down and sat oh. down, you would, you would just, you just wouldn't do it. It would be so rude. You'd feel, you couldn't force anyone to do it. I just feel so bad. But it's happening all the time now because of these devices. And it's, a, and it's, a, it's an excuse. You know, it's, people go, oh, it's okay. They're on their phone. No, it's not okay to walk into a room and not say hi to people. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, and um, it, it's something that we need to yeah, be conscious about. I like that idea of turning everything off, and I know I'd probably struggle with that, but again, that is something you need to do because it, it's a habit and it's a bad one you get into. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the app, and the main reason I wanted to obviously have you on the podcast today, not only just have a good chat, Hugh, but um, to mention this app. Now, um, for people out there, they've created an app, and it's basically around gratitude, and 
Um, I won't go into it too much, Hugh, but I've been using it now for about 20 days, and it, I love the simple f- the function of it. I love that I can do a little guided meditation if I need, and it's just a really good way to keep track of you know things that I'm grateful for. I think people are too often, uh, they get caught up on negativity and things that aren't going well in their life, but really, they've got all these amazing things that they choose not to talk about. So through this yeah. app, mate, is, is, is that your main idea with it, or you, you want to you probably can explain a little bit better than I can. Yeah, so um, it's probably a good it's probably a good time to to um, I mentioned at the top of the podcast that I discovered three things that these people did every day in India, and then I found out they were backed by research. I've basically built those three things into this app. So um, the three things I found uh, in this order, so you can remember the acronym GEM is gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. They're the things that these people. Um, practice. They actually made a deliberate practice of every single day. And so I've tried to build them in the app. So when you get into the app, the first thing that happens is it's going to ask you it's something you do at the end of the day. Um, and the first question is, how do you feel right now? Or what emotion do you feel? And you have to choose which emotion. There's a whole lot of faces there and you click on the emotion that you feel. The reason that is the first question is because that um, is emotional literacy where you um, are learning to label the emotion you feel and then to actually describe why you feel like that. That's one of the ways that we can build empathy because when you can recognise your own emotions, you become better at recognising someone else's emotions. So, And plus, it's, it's really good for you. If, if you're experiencing a negative emotion, so often we will go to bed and go, sure, I don't feel good, or, you know, but we don't actually unpack it. We just go to bed going, I don't feel good today. I've had a bad day. So, so often we don't actually go and deal with what's caused it. So if you actually stop and say, right now, I feel sad, before you go to bed, right now, I'm feeling sad, um, and then you actually answer the question because the next question underneath is why do you feel this way? And you say, I feel sad because um, uh, I was meant to catch up on my brother today and, and, um, and we were um, we caught up for a few minutes. Other people came along and, and he got a bit, bit distracted. We didn't have to have a proper chat um, and I feel sad because I was looking forward to that. It prompts you to actually deal with that issue. So you might message your brother and say, that's a terrible example, but that's all I can think of in yeah, my head. But it might, right. it might prompt you to say, <laughs> it might prompt you to say, it's such a strange example, but it might prompt you to send him a message and say, hey, mate, sorry to get to chat properly today. Um, let's grab a coffee in the next couple of days or something. And so you kind of deal with that and it changes your emotion because you've dealt with it in the moment. Or you might, maybe you've got a really positive emotion. Your emotion might be, I'm really excited because I've got this presentation for you. It might be you saying, I've got this presentation coming up in Hong Kong in a week's time and I just can't wait to. Um, it just builds your builds on your positive emotion. So that's yep. the first thing, just there. The second question will always be a gratitude question. So something like what went well for you today or what made you feel happy today or who's someone you're grateful for today or um, just because gratitude, the research behind gratitude says that when you practice gratitude for, for 21 days, so you're one day away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, um, You practice for 20 <laughs> Even though I know you've been doing this stuff for a long time. But um, if, you, if, you, if you practice gratitude for 21 days, these wonderful things start to happen to you more, the, most specifically or most um, pertinent to our app is that you just build your positive emotion. You start to feel happier. So there's always a gratitude question there waiting for you. The next question that you answer is what are you looking forward to most about tomorrow? And that, um, Sorry, mate. That's my most. Um, that's my favourite question from the app. I, I think oh, that's, glad, yeah. that's by far, like I think I love the emojis at the start. You know, that, that's a really good way to pick how I'm feeling. You don't have to describe, you just pick. But this yep. question, looking forward to, uh, it's got so much power. It does. And I'm really happy to hear you say that because it wasn't in the original build. And then I, I just love answering that question myself. And I thought, well, I might just put it in there because I, I just love, for me, it's a good one. Because the amount of times... 
if you've got, say, the, um, you're lying in bed, the next day's coming up, what you think about inevitably is the things you're not looking forward to and the stuff that Correct. might be causing a bit of anxiety. But in every day, there are things you can look forward to. And if you go to bed thinking about the things you're looking forward to, I'm not saying you're not, you're not dealing with the stuff you're not looking forward to. It's always going to be there, but it's just a nice way of going to bed feeling a bit more excited about the next day. You answer that question, and then, as you said, a meditation will come up, and there are um, seven different meditations that are on rotation at the moment, and um, over the summer, we're building in another 10, um, so it always feels like a new meditation. Um, if you don't like the meditations, or, you, or there's one you like, you can always go back into that day and do that. And do that, yep. Um, so, that, so, you know, the, yes. the thing I like about it as well, mate, is the meditation is 10 minutes, 10 or 12 minutes, you yep. know, yep. and if people say, I don't have time for that, they do. That just means they're lazy or they don't want to do it. So I like yep. that because I've got a short attention span and I know yeah. a lot of people do. <laughs> I can give up 10 minutes a day. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you, there, was a, there was an article um, the other day and you and I were talking before the podcast started about business and how it's, for both of us, not our favourite thing, but I, was, I, happened, I just stumbled across this article in the Business Review Weekly and it said that 58 out of the top 60 business people, 58 out of the top 60 business people worldwide do a minimum of 30 minutes meditation every day. Wow. That's how much, with gratitude, empathy, mindfulness, meditation is a great way to practice mindfulness and that's what the kids did in this community from 8.30 to 9 o'clock every day, they did meditation. Um, so, um, and then I read it that these business people do it and I know that something that, you know, having been very, very lucky to work with a few elite sporting clubs, it's what they're all sort of doing now as well for, um, because very simple, very simply when you're mindful, you're able to choose what you focus on. You actually can deliberately direct your focus to whatever you want it to be. Um, and when, and for many reasons, we're not great at that. And so, 10 minutes every night of, of um, before you, well, at any time of the day, just practicing meditation, which whether you do it through our app or you find another app or you get another way, um, it helps you feel calm in the moment and it, and it teaches you how to focus on what you want to focus on. And I think that if people are listening out here and you you don't just go and download this app, you're ridiculously crazy because it's free and it's got all these functions on it. And not only as a teacher, an adult, a parent, a student, everybody should be practicing this. It should just become part of your daily routine. And as we've just mentioned, Hughes has mentioned there, that leaving the world each day when you go to sleep, if you can leave it in a positive way and already looking forward to something the next day, that's, you know, you're already jumping out of bed. Whereas if you're harnessing yep. negativity, that's what you're going to yep. wake up like. Yep, absolutely. Spot on. Spot now, on. Now, um, so again, I'll have a link in the show notes. If you want to go and download uh, the Resilience Project app, I'll have a link for that in there. Now, you, um, a lot of the stuff you do, mate, is you know you do a lot of talks and you're very engaging. One of the things I think the most powerful thing we can do as teachers is use storytelling uh, to get our message across or to get that buy-in engagement from the students. Have you always been a master of storytelling? <laughs> Uh, depends who you ask. <laughs> ask if you ask my mates. What am I? Yeah, I, I love telling stories. I, I, um, I always have. I grew up watching um, uh, Billy Connolly, um, okay. my, um, comedian. My, my mum and dad thought he was great, so they'd always used to buy his videos and his DVDs. And so I grew up watching him, and I just I felt I actually I just fell in love with his his stories. Like some of them weren't even that funny, but I just loved the way he told stories. And then I I um. You know, growing up in sporting clubs, as, as, as I know you did as well, yep. whether it was footy or cricket, when before there were mobile phones, before there were devices, that was your kind of currency. Like it was, it was you would sit around and you'd either listen to stories or you'd tell stories after games, at training, during games and you're batting or whether it was after footy sitting around in the rooms, people just talked and it was all about 
telling um, stories. Now, I've been accused from my mates that, that I played cricket with. My nickname for a while was Sketchy because I reckon there's a lot of mayonnaise on the stories. But, but yeah, it's always been you – know, I mean, we remember stories and that's that, that's something I'd say to teachers and, and every staff PD uh, I'm doing. I, I implore teachers and to use storytelling because um, I still remember stories that my teachers told me. I don't – a lot of stuff – a lot of the – textbook stuff I don't remember but I remember the stories that I told me and that's we, we love stories as people we love hearing them and um and then that's what sticks so when I do staff payday and and I and I um I will I reckon out of an hour and a half is a 90 minute PD I take I reckon oh, honestly I would say 85 minutes of stories and there's just t- tiny little bits of information that I put up on the screen that aren't stories but but when I'm not telling stories, I see people shuffling around and trying to get comfortable and that's when I don't have their attention. But the second it comes into a story again, everyone freezes and they – I don't know what it is. That people just – we just love Amazing. stories. So, yeah, so I, you've, you've got to use stories when you – you know, the provocation or the hook and you're trying to get kids in to engage them into an activity or a topic or a lesson. I mean, sometimes it's hard when it's – if you're teaching maths. I was never great at maths, so I'm not here to tell a maths teacher how to, how to teach. But a lot of the subjects we teach, we can involve storytelling. Yeah, and I think if you can involve a story or a game, you're going to get people more engaged. And um, yes. I know, I know, I've listened to a lot of your talks. I listen to people tell stories and things like that. And there's so much evidence out there for teaching using that narrative style. You know, like you look at all games and like the gamification model. That's all built around building a story. So if teachers can Absolutely. get on that, and if you want to see the master in action, again, click on that YouTube click it um, YouTube clip that I'm going to put in the show now. So now, Hugh, your time's very precious, mate, and I really appreciate it. Before you go, I've got one little thing for you for for teachers out of australia or in australia that um haven't been lucky enough to see you speak or um have your curriculum or things like that is there one activity or one little go-to or something that they could just start with really small to test out you know the the gem approach and things that you've you know work that they could just try with their students maybe tomorrow yeah i would be uh that's a great question and there are so many things i'd like to say in this little bit but let me um I i would get your kids to start a journal and it's a 21-day journal, and every single day at the end of school, before they go, they've got to write three things that went well for them. Not three. This is a. This is the. This is the purest way to practice gratitude. Okay. Don't don't ask them. Don't ask them to say what they're grateful for, because um, we tend as human beings, we tend to think of the tangibles, the big things like family, friends, school, um, you know, food, water, which is all fine. But you run out of things after a while and then you get bored and you, you don't want to do it. So if you answer the question, what are three things that went well for you during the day, little things, um, you know, pay attention to small moments. Um, it might, if, if the answer is food and water, they might actually think, oh, I got to have a really nice lunch today, um, whatever it is. But just three things that went well um, and then ask them at the end of those 21 days um, uh, how they felt about that activity, how it made them feel, all those kind of things. Because you want the kids to articulate back to you that, you know, yeah, it made me feel it made me feel good. I look forward to it. I realised after a week I was actually looking out for things during the day that were going well for me. Um, the the healthiest ratio of posit- positive to negative emotions is three to one. If you want to know more about that, look up the negativity bias because unfortunately in Australia um, we are seven times more likely to know as a negative than a positive. Correct. Um, yep. So, which everyone knows that you kind of look out for. You're just always looking out for stuff that's not going well. But if you if you answer the question, what are three things that went well for me during the day? Um, what happens is you start to shift that um, positive to negative emotion ratio back in your favour, back into positive favour, and that is a very powerful thing to do for your, for your mental health and, uh, and your wellbeing. 
Now, mate, that's a, that's a really good thing, and it's so simple. You know, you're not, you're not having to go out by any resources or anything like that, and you can start today. So teachers, start small, like I say with anything and all the guests I have. Start with something, and it will work, and then you can actually go into more. You can go and download the app. You can start doing the meditations. You can go from there. Now, Hugh, for people that uh, want to find out more about the Resilience Project, where can we do that? Uh, probably the best way would just be to go to um, uh, theresilienceproject.com dot au um the resilience project.com.au or having said social media is bad for us we are on social media please feel free to follow us on social media uh, uh, <laughs> uh i probably shouldn't have said that but I've, facebook and instagram is we've got a lot of stories out there okay dad I, I i will put your uh, twitter handle in here as well i like twitter a lot so i'll make sure i mention that in there mate but uh obviously not uh next on sunday because uh don't try and contact you because you'll have his uh phone turned off <laughs> Absolutely, correct. Done. Well, Hugh, thank you very much for your time today, mate, and I'm sure listeners will get a lot out of that. Cheers, buddy. Hey, where are you going? Don't go anywhere. If you like today's episode or you like any of our episodes, we would love you to take 30 seconds out of your day and leave a five-star review on iTunes. That way, more people will be able to listen to this podcast, and hopefully it can help them in life with teaching and everything we do. Please leave a review. We'd love that. Thank you very much.